the meeting again this year. I always say I, I love to be in a meeting where there's a lot of preachers because I love to preach to sinners. And nobody here needs help any more than we do as God's men. I have of uh, late learned the difference between teaching and preaching. I was preaching behind a fellow from uh, the uh, originated in England, and he was telling that in the scripture he didn't he couldn't tell the difference between teaching, he said, and preaching. So I got up behind him just in a joking manner. I said, well, that's because he's not from the South. In the South, you know the difference. And two weeks ago, I fell and broke two ribs. And I've been preaching ever, I mean, ever service since. But I learned the difference between teaching and preaching. Uh, teaching is when you tell it, and preaching is when you yell it. So that's the difference. So I, I have been trying to teach a little bit, but it's much better uh, today. So maybe I can be in the preaching mode, I hope. Let's read here in these, uh, in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 11. Of course, you know the story of Ruth, Elimelech. And Naomi leave the house of bread in Israel and they, uh, Bethlehem, Judah. And they go down to uh, Moab. And uh, there in Moab, uh, there's a record of their two sons. The two sons marry and then the sons die, the father dies. And uh, it leaves them in desperation. Naomi hears that, again, there is bread in the house of bread, so it is her desire to head back home. Uh, the two daughters-in-laws are talking about going back with it. And I want you to notice what she says to them in verse number 11. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? In other words, girls, it's over. Death has taken its toll. There's really no reason for you to hang around because there's nothing else left. But I'm glad the Lord had one more in mind, as he always does. This matter of salvation is not just about me and you. It's about the fact that God's got one more out there. Notice, if you will, in verse 13 of chapter 4. She said, I can't have no more babies. And to straighten this mess out, there's going to have to be another baby. Boaz took Ruth. 
Again, you know the story, how they go back to Bethlehem, Judah. She goes into a field looking for grace, and that's Boaz's field. He's the nearest, uh, he is one of the kinsmen, but not the nearest of kin. And uh, through the process, uh, he wants to marry her. But to do so, that means to redeem everything. Redemption is uh, for the purpose of when something's gone wrong and you want to make it right. And everything has gone wrong as far as Naomi's concerned, Elimelech, as far as uh, her family, everything's gone wrong. It's a disaster. But redemption can make it right. Boy, isn't that true? In all of our lives, it took a work of redemption to take all that that was wrong and to make it right. And so he marries her. And uh, after he's went up to the gate, he's dealt with the nearest of kin who uh, has decided that he wants to redeem the property. But he said, now when you redeem the property, you're going to have to redeem Ruth because you're going to have to do a resurrection. You've got to raise up the name of the dead. He said, well, I'm by the property, but I can't do no resurrecting. And of course, as the uh, process was in the Old Testament, the one who would not, could not redeem, took his shoe off and gave it to the one who did. So it was real easy to find out who'd done the redeeming. The guy that walked funny couldn't redeem. And that's the way it is in religion. Said, Do you know the Lord? And they said, Well, I'm a member of the church, and it just doesn't have a walk to it. It's like a person with one shoe on. Uh, are you saved? Well, my grandpa's a preacher. I just don't have a walk to it. He said, Well, if you can't redeem it all, I'll do it. And of course, he did. And that brings us to verse number 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth. She was his wife. When he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Notice they're talking to Naomi, not Ruth. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to who? <laughs> she said there ain't no more in here. And they called his name Obed. Now, if you look that word up, you'll find that that word Obed means what? Worship, I'll let you say it. And I want to preach this morning on this one more, but I want to emphasize the birth of worship. The birth of worship. 
Of course, if uh, worship is going to be born, it has to be prefaced with redemption and resurrection. That's what's taking place. I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving you a definition of worship because the truth of the matter is, is if you've worshiped, you don't need a definition. If you hadn't worshipped, a definition will confuse you. But every experience of worship is a birth. As a matter of fact, the first experience you ever had of worship is when you were born again. You remember that that moment when you were born into the family of God and you worshiped? Well, that's what worship is. But yet every time after that that you worship, it's like a new birth. (laughs) Isn't that so? In your experience, When heaven comes down and you're able to step into that realm of the divine presence of God, it's like you've been born again, again. It is a birthing experience. And as a result of that, I often say to young men, to preachers, when you go into your services, don't go in just to function. Don't go in just to operate. Don't go in thinking I got to preach or I got to sing. Every service that I enter into, the thing I'm looking for is the baby. The baby. Because the baby's the only thing that's going to make the difference. As God, through redemption and resurrection, has brought them to the most important part at this time, and that is the birth of worship. God desires, the Bible said, for us to worship Him. There is the great need in our hearts, the great need in our churches, that this matter of a birthing experience called worship take place place because that's the only thing that's going to help us now can you imagine those people standing around the Bible talks about her neighbors and they're looking at this little boy and they're looking into the eyes of Naomi as she looks at the boy (laughs) they're looking into the eyes of Boaz as he looks at the boy They're looking into the eyes of Ruth as she looks at the boy. And they look around the room and everybody's looking at the boy and they said, it's going to be easy to name this boy. We're going to call him worship. You say, well, why were they worshiping? Because when they looked at that little boy, they knew, they knew what Naomi had come through. They knew what Ruth had faced. They knew of the impossibilities of the collapse of their lives on every level and that there was no hope. 
And that Naomi had said as she came back so bitter, there's nothing left in here, it's over. <laughs> but they looked at the baby and they said, it ain't over. <laughs> it's just begun. A good old-fashioned experience of Holy Ghost worship lets you know it ain't over. One more, baby! Now, I understand that some babies are ugly. Uh, we had four and 13 grand youngins and none of them were ugly because it's all in the eyes of the beholder. Matter of fact, they say that one out of every three people in America is ugly. So if you look to the person on the right, they ain't ugly, look to the person on the left. They ain't ugly, I don't know what to tell you. You just have to figure it out. But this baby, as they look into the eyes of this baby, as they, as they hear this baby, as it, as it makes its uh, baby noises, whatever, they look at it the, and they worship. They're worshiping, not just in the sense that they're worshiping the baby, but they're worshiping all that God has done to bring this baby into this world that would answer all the questions. Because you don't need an answer once you got the baby. How many times do we come into the house of God and we face the issues of our lives, the issues of the day, and we don't know what to do and we don't have an answer, but God begins to move and maybe he'll show up in a testimony or he'll show up in a song or he'll show up in a sermon or whatever it is. And honey, when the worship's over, you don't need an answer. You got the baby. <laughs> and you shake hands with them as they're walking out and you look into their eyes. They've seen the baby. And they have worship. And the greatest thing that we can do here this morning is to worship. Is to worship. Now, that's the need of this baby. Oh, I'm, 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 I feel as though that religion is so active that it walks over top of the baby so much. I'm in places where, where in the midst of the service I hear the baby cry and I'm thinking right there's the baby. But they don't even realize it. They walk over the baby. They go on and on with whatever they think needs to happen in the service. For God's sake, stop! There's the baby! <laughs> Looking for the baby. Looking for the baby. If a preacher knows what I'm talking about, you ain't just looking into this Bible looking for a verse, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, let's get a verse and let us go. 
you know when that baby's been born. <laughs> you go from this to this. <laughs> you know when you've got the baby to bring to the house of God and birth that baby. And you know when the baby's been born because they'll be looking at you like they've just seen a newborn baby. How we need the baby. How we need the baby. But then I would emphasize uh, what to do with the baby once the baby's born. If you will look uh, in chapter number four, the Bible said in Verse number 16, Naomi took the child. She took the baby. She took the worship. <laughs> Worship's been born. You get in a lot of these situations, you realize that the baby ain't nothing more than a Toys R Us. It's been manufactured. You can go somewhere and pick what color hair you want, what color eyes you want. You can pick what you want that baby to do. It's a Toys R Us baby. <laughs> Religion offer operating off the Toys R Us baby. But the only problem is that baby ain't got no life. You can take that baby and put it under the bed or put it in the closet or wherever you want to and come back and it'll be just like it was when you laid it there. It ain't got no life. But honey, when this baby gets born, once the baby gets born, all you got to do is tend to it. It'll live in and of itself. <laughs> huh? You won't have to give it life. You won't have to breathe for it. You won't have to encourage it to live. That baby's gonna live. The baby's here. Hallelujah. And when you realize somebody's gone beyond a simple profession and the baby's been born in their hearts, all you gotta do is move out of the way. Didn't have no religion before I got saved. And I don't want much now. I don't like what much I got. But I'll tell you what I'm looking for. It's life. It's life. A seed of life that lives on the inside. Notice what it said that she did. Verse number 16, and Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became what? She's nursing worship. <laughs> Honey, God's put something on the inside. He's put life on the inside. And all you got to do is nurse it. 
You say, well, what do you nurse it with? What it needs. Huh? I'm not going to go through all the illustrations and applications of the natural baby. you got sense enough to know they've got to be nurtured. But honey, that inner birth that took place in you, it feeds off the Word of God. you got to keep giving it the Word of God. Don't let it get weak without the Word of God. You gotta nurture it with the fellowship of the saints of God. Amen. Nothing better for the baby than to have some other babies around right. that they can fellowship and grow together. Amen. Nurturing it in areas in which you can experience the Spirit of God, the things of God. Prayer, all of those other things that will strengthen and will nurture the baby. Nursing the baby. Protecting the baby. We're <laughs> saying you can do for the babies get bitter. We're saying you can do for the baby. If you want to stun it, is get proud. Be jealous. And for God's sake, don't try to run somebody else's baby. Don't go to babysitting. Richard told me a while back, said there's a church open. I think I might take it. I said, God birthed that in you? He said, well, no, I don't know why. I said, because if you go over and take it and he didn't birth it in you, you're going to babysit. Now, you know what babysitting is all about. You don't mind babysitting. Somebody said, will you take care of my baby until 5 o'clock? You'll take care of the baby, you ladies will, until 5 o'clock. But at 5 o'clock, you're saying, hey, when are you going to come get the baby? That's the reason why a lot of preachers are miserable where they're at. It wasn't a worship experience and a birth in them and they're sick of the baby. Ain't not necessarily wrong with the baby, it's just they're babysitting. I don't want a babysit. I got my own baby. I want to nurture and strengthen the baby that's in me. a preacher in was preaching out in Texas he said and he was the uh, he was the keynote speaker he's an humble man in heaven now and uh, he said it was a bunch of other preachers up there on the platform they just covered it's a big meeting and he said, while we were standing up there, he said, a fellow got to praising God and he was doing uh, that holy dance, Brother Barnes, that she was talking about. He said, he's doing a holy dance. And he said, when he got to doing that, he said, uh, I said to myself, how embarrassing. Here I am, the keynote speaker, fixing to have to preach after all of that, what he's doing. He said, I no sooner thought that until the Lord said to me, said, Curtis, his name was Curtis, said, Curtis. He said, yes, Lord. He said, dance. Yeah. 
He said, oh God, I don't want to dance. He said, Curtis, dance. He said, but Lord, there's a bunch of other preachers up there. Let them dance. He said, no, Curtis, if you don't dance, you don't preach. He said, guess what I did? <laughs> he said, from that day to this, I've never tried to tell anybody else how to worship. If you can worship standing on your head, that's your business. That's your baby. Sometimes your baby will cry out. Sometimes it'll leap. Sometimes it'll just sit and cry. Sometimes it'll bow. But it's your baby. Nurture the baby. Let the baby live. Hallelujah. Look for the baby. We need worship. The day worship was born. I got a baby. Came out of redemption and resurrection. Been living for 50 years. Thirdly, I would have you to look at verse number 15. Oh, we've got to have the baby. There's a need of it. And all you've got to do is just work with it. Just work with it. It's alive. Work with it. But now I want you to notice in verse number 15 how this thing takes an about face. Here's the importance of it. Most folks don't realize the importance of worship. But the importance of the worship, we're going to find out, is the only thing that can take care of you in your old age is worship. You better take care of the baby because it's the baby that's going to take care of you. <laughs> Look in verse 15. This is talking about Obed, worship. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. <laughs> Said, honey, if you don't want to get old, take care of the baby. Because one of these days, you're going to be old and the baby's going to take care of you. <laughs> seven sons. I want to tell you, worship's been better to me than seven sons. I'm glad that worship carries me through the darkest days and hardest trials. That's when worship will come in. And you've been loving on worship, and worship will love on you. You nurtured it, and it'll nourish you.
back in the mountains of North Carolina. My wife's mom and daddy had already had six children. It had been five years since they'd had the last one. And uh, they were planning on no more. But then she found out she was expecting at 46 years old. Here's what she told me. She said, uh, I was so embarrassed at my age to be expecting. said, I-, I didn't even want to go to church. She said, I did, but I was ashamed that I was having a baby at that age. I'm going to tell you something. They've already passed on and went to heaven. But here's what they said when they got down to the time of crossing over. Or it's what they said ever since we've been married. Now these... 600 other children were, and they all bore their load. I mean, they were all into whatever, and especially when mom and dad got ill and sick and even down to death. But here's what they'd say to the rest of the youngins. Well, just leave that alone until Esther gets here. She'll take care of it. You know who Esther was? That's my wife. That was the baby they didn't think they needed. But honey, here's the thing about it. When they got old, honey, they got to calling on the baby. And believe me, the baby was more than willing to go and nurture and take care of them because they had taken care of her. That baby you've been a-rocking in your soul one of these days will go to-rocking you. That baby I'm here to tell you will do for you what nothing else can do. A dear lady out in uh, Texas after the service one night came up to me and she said, Preacher, I want to share with you something. But she said, I hadn't told two or three people because I, I thought they might think I was off. But she said a couple of years ago, my husband passed away and we expected that. But she said three months later, my daughter, unexpected, passed off the scene. She said it so depressed me and devastated me. She said all I could do was just sit in my darkness. And she said one day I was sitting on the couch by myself, nobody else in the home. And here's the way she worded She said, and he walked in. I said, who walked in? She said, he did. I knew who he was. I said, sister, what did he look like? She said, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't see him. Said he came over and he sat down on the couch right beside of me. I said, what did he say? She said, nothing. I said, what'd you say? She said, nothing. And said it might have been just a few seconds. Said it seemed like an hour. And said he got up and walked out. But he said, here's the thing I can tell you is that all of that darkness and depression was lifted off of me and sucked out when he went out. 
baby will come along and love on you. Baby will come along and strengthen you. I like it when the baby comes, don't you? Now, this baby has one nature. And it's heavenly. Look, if you will, in verse number 17. The Bible said, And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. If you follow that lineage, you know where that's going, don't you? It's going to Jesus. See, the truth of the matter is worship come from the Redeemer. But it'll always head right back to him. You'll know that worship has taken place when you leave that service and it's not all hyped up about a man or an event or the building or the church or whoever it is. But it's appointed you toward Jesus. It's headed in that direction every time. wise men did what? They worshipped who? The baby. See what your worship's doing is, is, is taking you from this world to another world. Because that's where he's at. Worship spans time and distance and space. That's why when you worship you feel as though that you've stepped out of this world into another world, and you have. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And every time you worship, you've entered into that realm that is eternal. You say, why? Because he's getting you adjusted to heaven. Worship, every experience of worship is, that's genuine is a trip to glory. <laughs> On one level or another, it's taking you to glory. I may have said this before, but I love to say it as a matter of fact. If you're waiting to get to heaven to worship, you ain't going because heaven is for worshipers that have been born and birthed. So you'll know what's happening when you step off into glory. A divine experience. But here's what I want to emphasize in my closing. Do we really, in, do we really realize the importance of worship? where it's come from, what it's doing in us, and where it's taken us. And if we did, we wouldn't want any other substitutes. We'd want something real and genuine that's got life to it, a birth. 
was thinking about Genesis 24. Do you remember that? Where that Abraham sent the servant to get Rebekah as a bride for Isaac. Now listen to what I'm telling you. And of course he's going to have to convince them down there that there is a wonderful father with a wonderful son that wants to bring a wonderful bride to have a wonderful wedding. But he's got to convince them down there because they don't know anything about this world. So after he has prayed and he comes to that well, here comes the damsel. And he finds out who she is. And you know what the Bible said he did? He bowed his head and worshipped. You say, well, what good was that? I'm going to tell you what good it was. She stood right there in the presence of someone worshiping. And what he did while he was standing right there in that spot, he reached up and got God and brought him down. He reached back and got Abraham. He talks about Abraham and brought him there. He reached back and got Isaac and brought him there. Worship was able to bring everything together in one spot. And Rebecca looked at that, and honey, when she saw that, that's all she needed to say. Because the Bible said she's the one that ran and told her family, hey, there's a wonderful father. He's got a wonderful son. He sent him here for a wonderful bride. And I want to go. They said, how do you know? You ought to have been there. She was sucked into worship. And I'm here to tell you, we can go through all the motions and commotions of religion. But the only thing that's going to let our children and our grandchildren in this world know that there's something beyond this world, they're going to have to see it. And the only way they can see it is when you worship. Honey, I want to tell you something. You wouldn't have had to seen the baby to know there was a baby. When you looked into Naomi's eyes, you said, man, there must have been a birth here somewhere. You looked in, I tell you, you looked into Ruth's eyes, you said, there's something fantastic. I got to, you want to get over, I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> when our children and our grandchildren see that we have been to heaven and back, They'll know there really is a heaven. There really is. You say, well, how do you know? Well, have you seen the baby? You seen the baby? The birth 